My fa- oh, that's like asking my favorite child. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite podcast? Uh, I think Football Ramble. House of Rugby. Um, Billy Yang's um, podcast. Freakonomics. Um, is Science Versus, and they're always very quirky. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I listen to that a lot just because the camaraderie and the individuals. Your Cast is a brand new podcast series where we talk to people making podcasts. On this show, you're going to hear some exciting new talents as well as some of the biggest names in the podcasting industry. We're releasing weekly in all the places where you'd normally get your podcasts from. A lot of our um, use of technology is not choice, it's necessity. And so I think it's really important in thinking about what we ask of people, really. I think there's, there's been a lot of emphasis on uh, people improving technology through, through their individual choices and through things like media literacy. But mm-hmm. f- fundamentally, at the moment, no one's got a choice. We've just got to use this stuff. And that makes people extremely dependent, reliant, and also vulnerable. On today's show, we're talking to Catherine Miller, the CEO of Dot Everyone, to discuss their new report, People, Power and Technology, the Digital Attitudes Report 2020. Welcome to Tech Talks. It's your twice-weekly tech podcast featuring interviews with leaders from across the industry and a bit of news. It's a Monday. Well, it's a Tuesday as far as everyone else is concerned, but it's Monday for us, Akish. It is. It is a Monday. Happy Monday. Happy New Week. Same to you, same to you. All feels like the same week now. I know. What what is a weekend, eh? Yeah. I think a weekend's just somewhere where we're not doing doing this. Uh, <laughs> where, where your work laptop doesn't get logged on. Um, unless you're using it for personal use as well. So and maybe yeah, the maybe. PlayStation gets put on more or something like that. PlayStation, Netflix, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so yeah, that's the weekend now really. Um I, I watched week. a time to kill on Saturday night. Did you? Haven't seen it in ages. Such a good film. A bit a good John film. Grisham thriller. Mm. Sandra Bullock, very Matthew McConaughey. McConaug- I can't say his name. Matthew McConaughey. 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 What is McConaughey? it? McConaughey. Yeah, yeah. Is it have just seen, McConaughey? McConaughey. Yeah. Have you seen okay. him in the um, the Lincoln Lawyer? No. Very good film that is. I mean, he's oh, amazing yeah. in Dallas Buyers Club. I just love his career yeah. trajectory. How it was like actually quite good, then awful rom-com after awful rom-com after awful rom-com to the point that he basically couldn't get a job anymore and then came back with some like really meaty roles like Mud and Dallas Buyers yeah. Club. Like He basically was taking easy money for a few years because he's a good-looking Texan. Like. <laughs> Didn't he, um, wasn't he just doing some like modelling shoots to, to make up for the, the films that weren't doing too well? probably and then he probably was like that won't sustain me for the rest of my life i better i better bother to act again i also have that talent to turn it on and go my career needs reviving i best win an oscar yeah exactly yeah better better have have a comeback now and then uh yeah put my feet up again for a few years yeah exactly exactly um anything else did you get up to uh no not really went out of the house uh yeah 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 when, when oh I, yeah, you I, went and got you got you got takeout, didn't you? Oh uh, yeah, I did. I did. I um drive drive by collection drive of. by collection takeout. It was all a bit of a weird concept, Heist. but yeah, I um I drove into the West End, um, which which normally would take me with no traffic takes me about half an hour, um, something like that. But with everyone assuming that things are back to normal on the weekend it took me a very long time and there was a lot of traffic on the road and then um yeah managed to get a, a japanese um 
takeaway from Zuma. So I don't know how funny would it be if someone that worked at Zuma was listening. So if they are listening, hook us up, like, please. Like, <laughs> life, lifetime supply of Zuma. Akish oh, can be your be, can be your sponsorship. Unbelievable. The voice um, of Zuma. Yeah, I have I have missed that sushi, the cod, the chicken. Yeah, very very good. Um, so yeah, got that, which was um, which was good. But it's good to see restaurants and stuff because that whole if anyone's been to Zuma, they know like in the West End, there's, there's like a whole road of like high end restaurants and you know fine establishments. But it's just good to see that everyone's almost just reacting to to what we're faced with because um, they're all open, but obviously for for takeaway and stuff. But they seem to be you know attracting quite a crowd because there were queues and stuff outside and yeah you know it's good and cyclists um the, the funny thing was seeing cyclists on the road just you know tucking into some lunch whilst uh whilst on their their daily ride which was quite a quite a funny walk um, that sounds dangerous yeah. okay yeah exactly i wouldn't want to cycle back home after eating a fancy meal and then you know kind of feeling bad on the way back so i don't know no definitely not definitely yeah not. exactly right well look uh Enough chit chat, as nice as it is, mate. I think we'll yeah. get into today's interview. <laughs> There's no real link here. I could make one, but let's not be tenuous. Um, our guest today, CEO of Dot Everyone, Catherine Miller, former broadcast journalist. So slightly worried that she'll be listening to this game. Bloody hell, look at this into those amateurs. Um, <laughs> that, that is worrying. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> In advance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we'll hand over to, to the interview with Catherine, and then we'll come back with a little bit of commentary on it. Today we're talking to Catherine Miller, the CEO of the Think Tank Dot Everyone, uh, an organisation we've had on the show several times because generally we love your your reports and uh, insight into the market. So it's a pleasure to have you today, Catherine. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, and we're talking to you because you've just uh, published a new report. Uh, make sure I get the title this right. People, Power and Technology, the 2020 Digital Attitudes Report. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, was that? I, I assume it was conceived and begun before we went into lockdown. It was. It's part of a long-running series of work that we did. We did the first um, piece of research in 2018, um, mm. and I do think this. You know, we have uncanny timing with these things because the 2018 research we did was really no one had done any work really to find out how people felt about technology at that point. There was lots of work on, you know, what devices do people use? How long do they use them for? That kind of stuff. But no one had said, well, does anyone actually like this stuff? Does anyone feel good about it? So we did that research in 2018, just before the Cambridge Analytica scandal broke. So that was interesting timing. Then last year, we did a piece of research uh, focused on the attitudes of tech workers uh, so finding out how the people who actually build um, and make the technologies that we use feel about about sort of issues of responsibility and impacts on society. And then this year, we really felt two years in tech is a really long time. So we wanted mm -hmm. to come back and see how people's feelings about technology had changed since 2018. And then it just so happened that we did that just on the cusp of the pandemic. So we did the uh, questionnaire just about a week before the lockdown. And then we did focus group discussions just two days after people had gone into lockdown. So it was a really interesting moment to be asking people their opinions. Yeah, absolutely. And looking at the kind of the, the, the high level findings, 81% saying the internet has made life 
a little bit better for people like me, I think is is slightly off on where it was two years ago. I thought that was in the 70s, but equally the the view of it being good for society is as pessimistic as it was previously, right? Well, I think relatively pessimistic. I mean, so you've got 81% of people say the internet has been good for people like themselves. 58% still is good for society. So it's still overall, the majority of people think that tech is a good thing. They're just less convinced that it's good for society overall. And I think that's um, sort of understandable because one of the amazing things about a lot of consumer tech is the instant gratification, right? So, you know, for me as an individual, being able to do my shopping at two in the morning in my pajamas is really handy. And that's a great thing. But I might feel alongside that a bit uneasy about the fact that my high street is changing, that I see shops closing down, that I see small businesses struggling. So it's, mm. it's not a kind of contradiction in terms that people might experience these things at the same time. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I still use Amazon, even though I have a pang of guilt when I do. Oh, um, so many of us do, right? <laughs> especially when I see how much money they're making at the minute. Anyway, never mind. Um, change is happening to them, not with them or for them, I think was a line that was taken out of the forward uh, that, that Martha Lane Fox um, used. And I think that's, that's probably a really... Um, pertinent line right now when people are furloughed when they're having to use zoom when stuff is when we're all in our living rooms our bedrooms our dining rooms kitchens wherever it may be right now tech is very much at the heart of something which is happening out of people's control and i I suppose that general feeling is only being kind of emphasized further right absolutely i mean i think the sort of the pandemic has done two things one it's sort of just given us all a bit of a reminder of, oh my goodness, tech is quite amazing. You know, particularly talking to people, those in that initial kind of shock of the lockdown, it's like, thank goodness, thank goodness my kids can still learn. Thank goodness I can still do my work. Thank goodness I can still talk to my friends and find out information. And it was just sort of, it, it really heightened that feeling of what an enabler tech can be. But it also heightened that fact that, a lot of our um, use of technology is not choice, it's necessity. And that's just become some kind of supercharged at the moment is, you know, we, we can't, it's not a luxury decision whether I'm using Zoom or not, or whether I'm using Google Classroom or not, or, you know, um, that's just now the absolute underpinning infrastructure of, of how we live our lives. And so I think it's really important in thinking about what we ask of people, really. I think there's, there's been a lot of emphasis on uh, people improving technology through, through their individual choices and through things like media literacy. But mm-hmm. f- fundamentally, at the moment, no one's got a choice. We've just got to use this stuff. And that makes people extremely dependent, reliant, and also vulnerable. And that's borne out in, in the research. So 47% feel that they have no choice. And yet people are resigned to bad experiences uh, as part of that use, uh, I think it's 50% describe it as part and parcel that people will try and cheat you whilst you're online. So I, I suppose that that underlines what you're saying there, that that people really do feel that they have no choice and yet they're entering a world when their best interests aren't at heart and people are, are actively out to make their life harder. Yeah, so you're, you're basically living your entire world through technologies 
that you don't particularly trust. You know, only 19% of people think that tech companies design their products with people's best interests at heart. And, and that, I think, is a really damning <laughs> judgment on things that we have no choice but to use day to day. And I think what's, um, what comes through both in, in this work and in previous research we've done is that people actually are, are, people have quite an appetite to take control and to make useful choices. But it's just blooming hard right now because, you know, mm-hmm. anyway, we did a project where we tried to ask people to change their privacy settings. And, you know, they, they went through the rigmarole of changing their settings and said, actually, I'm not very sure whether this has done what I wanted it to do. And, you know, and that was putting people into a context where they had one, one thing to do when they were being actively asked to do this. You know, if you think of the course of our everyday lives, who really wants to sit down and spend some time, you know, digging into their privacy settings? So people might feel like they quite like to make their tech work for them, but the tech has been designed to make that so cumbersome that it's the trade-off's just not even worthwhile. And that that probably quite neatly brings us to a couple of the recommendations because one of them will co- the, the the main one we'll come back to uh, later I'm sure but you you do have two that are specifically I suppose addressing that one recommending that all tech companies implement trustworthy transparent design patterns and show how services work and give people meaningful control and then recommending the government uh, should base. Uh, literacy strategy around new models of public empowerment in the digital age. But a lot of this is around as well, kind of making sure that tech is straightforward and people have their voice heard, right? Yeah. And I think what what we've found, and it's been really striking this year, particularly having that comparison to 2018, is knowing stuff is not enough. Understanding and having information about your technology isn't enough unless you have the opportunity to act on that information. So there's been huge mm. emphasis, um, both in like you know pretty much any policy proposal you come up with. Ah, media literacy—that's what we need. If only people understood this better, then the world of technology, particularly the world of social media, would be so much better. Well, we're finding that people actually do have a reasonably good understanding now, but there's no way that they can translate that into any kind of action. Yeah, Look, I mean, I, I I spend my life talking to people like you and, and heads of companies. I understand the value of data. You know, I fall squarely into the the group that kind of talks about the understanding and the, the value of data, but no great ability to shape it or our online experiences because, well, I, I, I know I can submit a subject access request to certain companies and, and ask them to delete my data, but perfectly honest, uh, I know at the same time I'm leaving a digital footprint every, everywhere every single day, and I don't really know how to control that realistically and still use the services that I use. Uh, absolutely. And and how would you, quite frankly? Um, yeah. So what you see is sort of people take actions in a way just to kind of make a gesture that they, they have some semblance of control. So so we had sort of signif- significant number of people saying, oh, I, I dirty my data. I put in false information when I'm filling in forms to try and stop uh, companies building profiles for me of me um or you know i i will try and um use an ad blocker or you know much lower numbers uh, using things like DuckDuckGo and, and, and privacy preserving services but again people will kind of do this on occasion like one person in the focus group said oh every so often i'll go through and kind of delete my browser history 
but I don't really know if it does anything, but I just feel like I, right. I need to do something that makes me feel like I'm, I'm taking some kind of action. But fundamentally, it's, it's, it's a gesture to almost sort of solve your own conscience about it, rather than feeling that you're make, making any meaningful change to your online environment. I mean, there is that thing that even as an individual, I kind of feel like it's a bit futile doing these things you know face facebook has more users than many countries have have populations kind of without it being a uh a, a kind of a combined well thought out strategic effort i i don't really see what one individual can do anyway which might be slightly a fruitless thing to say but i did find it interesting that the report talks about the fact that that people are would be willing to accept trade-offs for better governance and governance would be one way forward i suppose through this I would be intrigued. Did, was there any kind of uh, suggestion of what those trade-offs might be? We asked a couple of questions that said, okay, so we found that 58% of people feel that the tech sector is under-regulated. Um, but, you know, would people be prepared to accept some of the trade-offs and limitations that regulation might entail? So, for example, if uh, if social media platforms were regulated, but that meant that less content was available to people that, that the, there were restrictions on what people would see. Um, and we found about um, 60% of people found that an acceptable trade-off. Likewise, that if there was greater regulation, but that might have an impact on innovation or on consumer choice, 64% of people were willing to, to see that trade-off. So I think, you know, and again, in the focus group conversations, people really recognize that, that there are you know, pros and cons to all this. But overall, people just say, you know, no one has our back on this. There is, you know, these mm. these big tech companies in particular feel that they don't have to play by any rules and it's time for that to change. At the same time, people also recognize how blooming difficult that is when you've got massive global companies um, and how hard it is for a national government to operate in that very fast-moving environment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you only have to look at the press with kind of the, the way that it's playing out at the minute in California with Elon Musk threatening to just up operations and leave as a, as a business if California doesn't play ball the way he wants it. Yeah, um, and, uh, but I think, you know, there's a, there's an element where um, national governments need to start to call the bluff of tech companies yeah. because, um, you know, the... You, you saw with GDPR coming into force that there was all sorts of, you know, hand waving about this would be the end of the world. And at the end of the day, tech companies complied more or less. Yeah. Now, one one of your um, suggestions uh, is around the creation of an independent body uh, to help with regulation. I think that was in the 2018 report as well. So it'd just be really interesting because obviously that that is a that is a landmark proposal for the for the government. It has, has there been progress on that front? Um, because it is something that you've called for on, on a couple of occasions. It'd just be really interesting to know how that's going. Yeah, so this is when we first started looking at regulation in 2018, um, the, we sort of identified three major gaps in the landscape. So, so regulators don't have the capacity to deal with um, fast-moving technologies that are shaping different sectors. They don't have an evidence base to act on, neither the public nor policymakers, and, and also the public really lacks uh, mechanisms for seeking redress from the negative impacts of technology. 
And since we made, uh, and, and looking at that landscape, we, we felt like there's a need not for a new regulator, because the danger of setting up a tech regulator is that they become the everything regulator. If you know, if you start, imagine right. having a, a kind of, uh, you know, internet regulator, if you think, well, where does the internet end? The internet underpins everything in our lives. But what we think there's a need for is a, is a, a body that helps the existing regulatory landscape adapt to the impacts of technology and to build those those elements of capacity evidence and redress um, and and to kind of coordinate things because there's been a kind of rush of enthusiasm for for thinking up how people should regulate tech and we've got the online harms um, proposals the Furman review the Karen cross review the age-appropriate design code you know all these sort of different initiatives but None of them have got very far, and none of them are coordinated. They're not, they're not necessarily pulling in the same direction. So we think there's a need for this kind of overarching steward for the landscape that's going to make sure that you're plugging the gaps in regulation, but also creating a landscape that, that holds together and works in a kind of concerted effort to bring regulation into the digital age. Look, I think it's a, a good point to end on. I, I think there's some really interesting discussion and ideas in the report. We'll make sure it's shared in the show notes. Uh, but I really appreciate your time coming on the show this morning and exploring it a little bit further with us. And uh, uh, when is the? I suppose you, you've got a bit of time now to think about what the next report is. So um, yeah, well, we'll just go and you know bang some people's heads together to try and pay, make them <laughs> pay attention to this one, and then and then we'll turn to what comes next. Well, look, thank you for your time. Thanks so much. No wonder she speaks really well. She does, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. Because I was, I, I was listening to it, and I was like, you know, like when you start listening to stuff, and you go, "Oh, fucking hell!" Like, okay, yeah, she she speaks really well. Um, so yeah, you, it makes sense with her job. Yeah, yeah. I might leave yeah. that in. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, do you do you think that change is happening to us? not with us or for us to kind of to steal from the forward of the report uh, uh baroness martha lane fox is the founder and uh, exec chair of dot everyone okay and in the cool. forwards of the report she wrote change is happening to them and this is the the tech lefts behinds that we're kind of talking about change is happening to them not with them or for them i think that's probably fair right i think so i think it's fair but See, when you read some of that, your brain automatically goes to, oh, is that change a negative change? Is that change that is being forced? Um, you could argue, yeah. Um, but I also think that change happening to them being the, the left behind group of people, um, I think is maybe a positive thing because it's just allowing us to connect like, you know, we've not really connected before and connecting to people that we thought would be so adverse to using technology and you know adverse to kind of using all these platforms i think it's i think it's great you know you i only have to look at my household and look at my mom and and, and my dad and you know kind of elder kind of family members and the last two months i mean their their technology usage or what they're doing with technology and are they keeping up to date with each other working um you know doing that sort of stuff is is unbelievable you know there, there's mm. um before all of this, I also think we took things like that for granted. Um, 
And I think they mentioned something in the report, or maybe it was just Catherine in the interview talking about tech snobbery. Like that's, you know, slowly coming to it or, or has, you know, kind of come to an end. It's not about whether you're using a Google platform or whether you're using FaceTime or, you know, kind of um, Zoom or whatever. Right now, it's all about kind of being connected, embracing technology and that change. So, yeah, I think it is happening to them. Um, the thing the thing that yeah. troubles me though listening to you talking there and, and thinking about my own experience right is the report is very much saying that the rich are more positive about tech than the poor and there is a oh. definite tech left behind like a new class and not to put too fine a point on it both of us are reasonably affluent you're a homeowner in london i i'm a director of a, of a business on a good salary like we both work in white collar jobs mm. we're not we're not gig economy workers. We're not on zero hour contracts. We both have unlimited data. I imagine we've got multiple devices that can access the internet. Yeah. Um, and we're finding aspects of this really challenging. But the Ooh. one thing that isn't difficult for us to do, to be perfectly frank, is actually to carry on working. The Ooh. stuff that we're finding difficult right now is the mental the mental health aspects of it, I suppose. Mm. And they're not seeing friends and those those pieces. And this refers to, yeah, there's there's stuff that I think is universal, like 45%, um, yeah, no point in reading the T's and C's as we discussed uh, last week. Yeah. 45% feeling they have no choice. 50% feeling that a bad experience is part and parcel of, of going online. I think that's all universal. But I think we're probably also insulated simply because of our social standing and sometimes we don't stop and go oh hang on a minute we're we're in a pretty lucky position in a lot of regards mm. that, that's so true do, do you know what the the other the other day i was actually counting in my house um and then again you could probably call it an affluent person's problems but i was finding that the wi-fi was being quite slow you know why isn't my instagram loading up at you know a drag of a, a finger and that sort of thing so I was like, maybe it's something to do with Wi-Fi. So I anyway, went around my house and actually counted how many things I've got. And I counted about 15, 16 items that were all connected to the Wi-Fi at one point, you know. Mm. And that includes everything from your Wi-Fi speakers, printer, TV, whatever. Um, and it did make me think that, you know, bloody hell, I'm, I'm fairly lucky to, to have all these, you know, items to, in order to access information, access data, Um but yeah, just going back to back to that point where I do think sometimes we can forget those that will actually genuinely be left behind. And that's through economic struggles or, you know, through kind of um, backgrounds or, or places where they live. But I think, well, I, I think there needs to be maybe a bit more of a conscious effort to then maybe bring those people up or, or not up, but, you know, kind of bring them with technology and with times. Um, but I'm not sure how you do that. I, I'm, no, you know, I, I don't. I wouldn't know. Is that a government issue? Is that a local authority? But, but, but that's it. Maybe, maybe it is. Like you know, maybe it's incumbent on people like us to pressure and lobby for there to be better access to online services. Because you know, the, the report screams of um, you know, so long as I'm okay, mate, type attitude, which mm. is people think that tech has generally been pretty good for them, and. Mm. The majority feel that it's been good for society, but it's a slim majority. It's a it's an EU referendum majority here that we're talking about. Feel that it's been better for society as a whole. It's on a bit of a knife edge, and it only takes a few few more people really to turn around and go. I'm not sure tech's been good for society. And that's a dangerous place to be because 
Without tech right now, we would be totally buggered. Yeah. We, um, so yeah. we need there to be confidence and trust in tech businesses. We need people to engage with tech because otherwise it's not going to get any better. If we ignore it, how are we supposed to hold Jeff Bezos and his mates to account and make sure that companies are more transparent? Yeah, true. And it is again, it, it kind of comes to, to that point where if you do regulate things, how do you regulate them? You know, how yep. do you how how do you put these things into place? And, and I think Catherine mentioned like the GDPR stuff, um, you know, which again, I remember even when that was taking place in our own organization, you know, the the kind of countless meetings about it, the emails, the appointment of people, you know, an inbox that you just had to fire your theories through. Yep. trainings that happen and now gdpr is what you know we just click something to allow them to have access or or you know kind of we can have that unsubscribe button if we if we don't want you know kind of people to reach out to us so i, I again it may be a, a a social class thing where people have allowed or, or people like us can just you know kind of what bystand that or, or sidestep it a little bit and be like well that's it it's just normal but then those that don't maybe have the access done that have, you know, the technology or, or, or the devices to allow them to get onto these technology platforms, you know, how, how are we going to cater for them? Um, mm. I also think maybe it's a, you know, maybe it's a, a funding thing. I, I don't know. Like, you know, these local councils, are they, maybe they can target a specific, you know, group of funding or, or, you know, a, a bit of funding in order to bring, bring up these areas um i'm not really sure but also then you've got the technology abuse right you can have all these governments and and authorities do some wonderful things for people but then can people actually be trusted you know if you if you give someone unlimited access if you pay for their device if you pay for their internet usage how do you know that they're not going to use that to something that may be a detriment to the society do you, do you know what i mean so yeah 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 uh it, it's a tough one it's a tough one um but yeah, that, that report and, and obviously everyone raised some very, very valid points, I think. I mean, I also, just as a question, would love to put it to you. Would you accept trade-offs on convenience for better governance, for a better experience online? Because this is the thing, like when it comes down to it, that whole trade-off between society and uh, that trade-off between society and the individual it's only going to get better for society if the likes of me and you don't go online and go, oh, but I want it tomorrow. Mm. Prime. Come on. Where mm. is it? Come on, come on, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And already you're kind of hearing people going, oh, well, you know, supply chains need to be quick. We need to make sure that we're getting stuff. You know, like, there, there was, there, I think there was an acceptance at the beginning of this crisis that it might take a bit longer for stuff to get delivered. And now yeah. that's beginning to seep away again and people expect instant gratification and yeah. they want their they want their stuff delivered. Yeah, yeah. You say that. In fact, I found myself complaining on the weekend um, about that exact same thing. And if I'm honest with you, I, I have gone back and since deleted my tweet because um, I tweeted a electronics store that, you know, had promised that I'd get something delivered by Friday. I got given a time mm. slot. It didn't arrive. And then when you check the tracking thing, it said it was just still sat in, in, in the depot. And I was even though I've got nowhere to go, I can't physically leave the house. So there's no reason to be like, oh, well, I might be at work. I've had to change social plans. I was just having a moan at them for the sake of having a moan and put out a tweet, tag them in, 
and said, I've not, you know, got my stuff delivered. And to be fair to them, they did get back to me, direct messaged me and said, look, give us your order number, your details, blah, blah, blah. But it just goes back to say, you know, if there were some, uh, you know, if there were some some kind of payoffs or, or I don't know, I, I, I would be open to it. I would be open to it, I think, because it would also help a lot of other issues like, um you know, cyberbullying or, or, you know, kind mm. of the, the online trolls and, you know, the, the kind of online abuse that people face. So it may help society in that way as well. But at the same time, once you give someone so much independence and then you start to drag it back, what effect will that have, you know, yeah. on society? Because um, you've got countries around the world that do it, right? Like the, um, the UAE, so like places like Dubai, um, they've got no access to Zoom, for example. So... Zoom is a platform that has not been sanctioned by the UAE and you can't, you know, get on it for whatever reason. Um, things like YouTube. Um, the, yeah, as a look at the restrictions in China, let's be honest. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, China, um, like Saudi Arabia, you know, places like mm. that where they are governed very, very strictly and people have a certain window to access certain information and that's it, you're done. Would we then want to live in, in that area? I mean, we're struggling two months after, well, two months of being in lockdown and, not being able to go to the pub and not being able to watch the football, you know? So imagine this, if, if that was to happen. So yeah, yeah. If, if they weren't writing because of the streets, uh, you know, kind of being shut down, <laughs> they may be writing because of Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube having limited time um, per day. I know, I know I definitely feel left out, but yeah. Don't know about everyone else. Let's not cut ourselves off any further than we have to. Yeah, exactly. But exactly. because we need it, you know, Let's make Ooh. sure it's regulated and it works for us. Yeah. Um, look, it's a really interesting report. Go have a read of it in detail. I'll put a link in the show notes. No tech news today because I'm going to plug something I've written. It's on our own website. It's on the Tech Talks website. So if you go to Tech News, the news and commentary section of Tech Talks, there's also a follow-up article all about consumer and customer choice, basically asking whether or not this suggests that we should be stopping lining the pockets to someone like Jeff Bezos, whether or not that actually happens or not. I ordered something off Amazon about an hour ago. But I did order some beer off a completely random independent website rather than go buy some in the shops. And I am trying to support other local businesses. So maybe people will get a little bit more savvy and try and buy through businesses that reflect and live their values. Who knows? But that's on the website too. Akish, thank you for joining me. No problem. Thank you. Lovely to chat to you. And uh, yeah, we'll be back later in the week. We will be. 